Well, good morning, my church family. Oh, the 9.30 service is getting better than you guys at this. Come on. I'm not a morning person either. You've got to be a little more lively at 11.30. Good morning, my church family. There we go. There we go. Welcome to East Salem. I want to welcome our online audience to uh, East Salem Church as well. I want to give a special uh, welcome to Donovan, who's watching with us second time uh, online with us. And uh, Donovan, you are welcome at our church in person or online anytime Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, love having Livingston Adventist Academy praise team with us this morning. And so uh, I'm going to tell them something that they've already heard at the 930 service. So I'm going to tell them for their benefit. But really, it's going to be for all of our benefit here in just a second. Um, number one is that I always will have a heart for youth and young adults because that's how I got my start into ministry. And God has now positioned me into a leadership role. And that's awesome. But what I want to help them understand is that oftentimes we in the church, we have an expression that we say that I think we need to correct a little bit because oftentimes when we turn to teenagers, we tell them they're the future of our church. And while that's true, I don't think it's entirely accurate because they're not the future of our church. They're the now of our church. Um, we value you guys. We love you guys. We respect you guys. And we love what you bring to our church family. So thank you guys so much for serving with us today. Uh, love having you guys there. And Lara, special shout out for singing with foggy glasses. That was awesome. Every single time she would sing, her glasses would fog up, and she's trying to read the lyrics in the back. It's aw- You're a trooper. You're awesome. Yeah. All right. So anybody that's a, that is a parent or a grandparent or maybe even an aunt or an uncle, you have probably experienced going to a children's Christmas program. And they're kind of these quirky, cool little things, right, that you end up going to. And I remember, you know, when I was, when I was growing up, I'd get drunk along to, like, extended family Christmas programs, and I'd just be like, oh, but they're horrible. The kids can't sing. They're off-key, and there's always the one kid that's picking his nose in the back row, and, you know, the other one that's just kind of looking around and isn't paying attention to what they're supposed to be paying attention to. But when you become a parent or, or like, a grandparent or something, you're like, all that stuff's cute, and we like it, and we like to document it, and so we take pictures of everything. And so, so it was when Michelle and I became parents, and we, have, we had two little kids. i got a 17-year-old and almost a 13-year-old at home now. Uh, wow, I'm old. <laughs> Not Jerry old, but I'm old. Right, all right, all right. But when they were littler, we, we went to this Christmas program. At, at, it wasn't here in the Salem area, but we went to this Christmas program and people arrived super early at this program at the church so that they could get good seats. Now, if you've ever had children performing in a Christmas program, you know why you get there early to get good seats, so you can get good pictures. And so usually it's like the first or the second row. I'll say second and third row because, honestly, nobody ever sits in the front row. Thank you guys for sitting in the front row. That's awesome. Um, Yes, I love that. I'm like, people are always like, church is so crowded. I'm like, not in the first two rows. <laughs> Come on up. You're in the splash zone. Uh, but in the kids' Christmas program, you want to be in the second or third row, somewhere in there on the aisle, right? So you can pop out or lean out and get the picture of the kid. Maybe it's DSLR. Nah. I, I kid you not that the, one of the Christmas programs I was at, there was a grandpa that was taking pictures with an, uh, an old school 1982 Polaroid camera, right? Whip it out. And then what do you do with it? Now, Polaroid says you don't have to shake it, but everybody does, and so he'd shake it, and and I'm just sitting there going, how's he going to post that on Facebook, Um, right? But he was having fun with it, and so 
This was the program. We got there early. It wasn't quite an hour early, but it was pretty close, and we got our seats up front. I'm like, okay, got a good seat. You know, I can get some good pictures of the kids and all of that stuff. And Michelle and I were just sitting there and we're kind of perusing through the program. Oh, yeah, look, there's our kids. And uh, another younger couple came and sat behind us. And I don't tend to eavesdrop on people, but when there's silence in a room and people are talking behind me and I can hear their conversation, I may or may not be listening in. And so they were talking behind me, and I I heard the husband kind of lean over to his wife, and he's like, man, this is like the first time I've ever been inside of a church. This is really nice. You know, the seats are comfortable. And I could hear him kind of shuffling around with the papers, and they were pulling out the hymnal out of the backs of the pews when we were allowed to have those, and the Bibles and when we were allowed to have those. And and they were kind of looking at him, and man, this is a really nice building. This is, and they were enjoying themselves. And so as we got closer to program time, the, the crowd filled in more and more and more and I'm just still sitting there kind of next to Michelle and I probably playing on my phone let's be honest and I'm waiting for the program to start and I hear um, two people approach from behind and they stop and it's a it's an older couple and I don't know that from the voice I actually looked over my shoulder when they started speaking it was an older couple and they were standing next to this young couple and I heard the older gentleman say excuse me but you're in our seats and my wife gave me this look because she knows like when stuff like this happens, especially inside of a church, my blood pressure goes and she's like, remember what the doctor said? Calm down. No, she just gave me that look of don't, don't, don't make a scene. And so I just kind of bit my tongue and I'm listening to the conversation and the young man turns up to him and totally apologetic goes, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't realize we had reserved seatings. Nobody gave us any tickets or anything like that. I, I'm really sorry. And the man, the older gentleman didn't miss a beat looks back down at him he goes well there isn't reserved seating but we've been going to this church for 45 years and everybody in this church knows those are our seats you need to move and i'm just like i want to no 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 and so the young man his wife gave him the same look that my wife was giving me which was don't raise a scene and so this young couple got up and of course, the only seats that remained were in the back. And so they got up and they walked all the way and sat down in the very back. And this old couple, very happy of the fact that they had secured their seats once again, sat down and enjoyed the program. And I tried to enjoy that program. I've tried to be the proud dad and I was snapping pictures. But in my mind and in my mouth, I'm biting down because I'm like, what just happened? I can guarantee you with 99% certainty that that young couple will never step foot in another church ever again. Why? Because somebody was selfish. Because somebody was prideful. Now, I don't want to say this has anything to do with a generation. It just happened to be an older couple. So I'm not talking about old people are evil. Well, most of them aren't. Some of you are. I'm getting there. The longer my hair gets, the grayer it gets, so I need to start cutting it short. John, I, 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 don't, I, no, I can't quite pull that off yet, so we'll get there. We'll get there. Oftentimes, our faith can become less of an act of worship and more about notoriety and more about what we like, what we're comfortable with, so that we can kind of dictate how things go. Instead of our worship being focused on Jesus, it becomes more about our preferences and prestige and less about our Savior. And there's a danger in that. In fact, Jesus and his apostles ran into this attitude a lot. At the birth of the early church, of course, 
And even when Jesus was there trying to get people connected back to the kingdom of God, He was constantly fighting against people that insisted that everyone had to keep these rules and regulations. Everybody had to act this way. Everybody had to look this way. Everybody had to speak this way. Everybody had to do these things in order to be an acceptable religious person. And Jesus kept on coming back over and over and going, wait a minute, you guys are insisting on all of this stuff, but where's the love? You're not actually loving anybody. And so he's trying to set the record straight. And so even after Jesus died and rose again, we see over and over and over all through the New Testament, the, uh, the disciples and the apostles fighting against this concept that people had to do and say and be certain ways before they could be acceptable into the church or the kingdom of God. They had completely lost track of what was important. They lost track of God's love to others. Therefore, the community of Christians looked and felt different than the past and it upset some people as we get into our teaching time here's the big idea that i want you guys to to wrestle with today as we talk about what the bible tells us about worship right so last week this is part two of our sermon series on revolution uh sorry resolution uh last week you said no looking back your past does not define you don't hold on to what god is telling you to let go of and instead move forward with him and today we're talking about what does it mean to move forward here's the big idea Looking forward means that we look out for others, not self. Because worship is always an outward expression. It is not born from selfishness. Worship is about Jesus. Worship is about His kingdom. Worship is about who He is. But I want to put a definition on this real quick because oftentimes what happens is we we kind of confine that word worship, right? And and I've heard people say it like, you know... um, I was at church this weekend and I enjoyed the worship and they were talking about music or I was at church and I enjoyed the, the, the worship and they're talking about the sermon or, or this or that. And they're talking about elements as if that's worship. But worship isn't a program. Worship is a lifestyle. See, what we put our focus in in life is what we're worshiping. It can, be, it can be money, it can be a person, it can be anything, but if that is our focus and that's what we're all about and that's what drives us, that's what we are worshiping. And so in our lives, worship cannot be confined to a church service during one day of the week. It's what we do with all of that information, all of that knowledge, with the Holy Spirit living in us the other six days of the week. Because that's what worship truly is. And the early church was constantly working against this tide that said, that's not worship. Worship is doing this and doing that and doing this and doing that and doing this and doing that. And it became focused until... They were worshiping their sacred cow, which was all of the rules and regulations they had come up with. So the early church finally says, you know what? We're going to form a community based on how God calls us to relate to one another. And we're going to show you how this is supposed to work. And so in Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 42, um, they record it this way. It says this, All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshipped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. 
who wouldn't want to belong to a community like that? I'm like, first of all, a huge feature of it is food. I love food. I, I, I absolutely love it. In fact, I was talking to our potluck coordinators after the 930 service, and they're like, when can we do potluck again? I said, oh, I miss potluck, right? Because food is kind of what brings us together. In fact, when I was a youth leader uh, and a youth pastor, I used to train my youth leaders, and I had this mantra that I would tell them as we were planning our youth group events, and I basically told them this, if you feed them, they will come. And it's no different with adults either, because why? Our lives tend to really do revolve around food when you think about it. When I, had, when I used to have people over at my old house when we lived here in Salem, we had a, a huge kitchen island. And I kid you not, our youth group would come over for 90 minutes, and for 70 of the 90 minutes, we'd all just be standing around that kitchen island eating and talking. Talking about life, talking about Jesus, whatever it happens to be. We'd just be sitting there talking. Because community was happening in that moment. But notice, too, that community happened outside the confines of a worship program. Yeah, they went to the temple and they had worship services and things like that. But they met together. They came together. They got to know each other. They developed friendships and relationships with each other. When they found a need, they met it. When somebody was hurting, they helped them. When somebody needed prayer, they prayed with them. This is truly what the community of God is supposed to look like. And notice, too, that there wasn't any preference given to anyone here. This is the big thing that I love as I read through the book of Acts, right? The disciples could have been a little bit prideful, and certainly we saw Jesus trying to knock the pride out of them at certain points as we read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But they didn't do it. You don't see as you read through the book of Acts that like Peter decided that he was not going to uh, share with the community anymore and instead took all of his money and moved into a mansion over on Galilee. You know, We don't see any of that. In fact, the disciples were intimately involved with the community just like anyone else and it was an amazing thing that was happening you see our worship our life and our lifestyle isn't about us it's about worshiping jesus it's about loving him and then allowing his love to flow through us and into others and as we see this happening here in acts their community became deeper and deeper in love with jesus and deeper and deeper in love with each other Their community was about growing deeper in love with Jesus and showing that love to others through sacrifice. In other words, worship doesn't have anything to do with you or me. It's not for you and it's not for me. It's about Jesus and about loving, serving, and helping others just as Jesus did. Now, here's the hard part. When we actually live a life of worship and it is all about Jesus it means that we have to step out of our comfort zone to be able to worship. Because if we stay in our comfort zone, we will never fully experience the worship that God has given us to participate in. Here's a prime example. Um, I have a huge burden, a huge uh, uh, heart for homeless ministry. And it's no secret. Um, I've, I've, I've shared it before many times as well. But imagine that if I was out on the street and the Holy Spirit is prompting me, and I see this, this homeless man, and he's having a really, really rough go of it. And the Holy Spirit says, hey, you should help that guy out. He's really hungry, or he's thirsty, or he needs new socks, or duct tape, or whatever it happens to be. By the way, the top two things that are requested mostly from homeless people are duct tape and warm socks. Um, so if you ever have a chance to, to get down into the community and help them out, there's your two things right there. Go to Costco, buy a flat, bring it on over. But imagine that if I'm saying, okay, I want to help this individual, and then I go home, 
and I get in my lazy boy, and I'm in my 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 really comfortable sweats. I've got my sweatshirt on. I got my blankie pulled up, and I'm laid back. And then I I sit back and I go, Lord, I saw this homeless guy on the street today, and uh, please send somebody to meet his needs. Amen. Did I actually help the homeless guy? No, and you can say, well, you prayed for him. Yeah, absolutely. But here's one of the things I want you guys to understand. When we pray for God to have something happen, who do you think makes it happen? People. God does His ministry through you and through me. So I cannot minister to this man's needs if I'm not willing to get out of my comfortable lazy boy and my sweats, although I could probably call sweats, uh, and get out of my house and go to where he is and meet his need. Just to walk over to him and say, hey, you look like you're having a really rough day. Can I buy you lunch? Or what do you need? What are you out of? What, what's going on? How are your socks? How are your shoes? Those things that we sometimes take for granted. God can use us if we're willing to get out of the chair or out of the pew and get into somebody's life. And then we can truly experience the worship that He has planned for each and every one of us. You have to forego your preference, your comfort to go out and actually help others. And I'm not saying that each and every one of us is called to homeless ministry, but what I'm saying is God is going to put people in your life that are there for a reason. And He's calling you as an act of worship to actually go out and love them through action. Now here's the real rub. Here's the bigger one. There are no exemptions to this calling in our life. I had an older gentleman at uh, my previous church. I'd only been there for, for, for a few weeks at that point. And so he comes up to me after I preached a very similar sermon. And uh, he came up and he put his finger in my chest. He was shorter, so it was actually down here. So, and I made the Pillsbury boy sound because that's what I thought he was doing. I thought he was playing with me. <laughs> and, but I looked at his face and realized he ain't playing. And I said, oh, well, you got something on your mind. What do you got on your mind? And he says, you don't get to tell me what to do. I have earned the right to do nothing anymore. Now, if you remember the previous story about when somebody's pushing my buttons inside of a church, what happens to my blood pressure, it was happening again. And this time I didn't have my wife there to be able to be like, mm -mm 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 -mm. but I paused. I was like, God, you got to tell me what to say because I got a bunch of things that are about to fly out of my mouth and none of them are very Christ-like. And so I paused and I said, okay, I put my hand on his shoulder when we could actually touch each other. And I said, Brother, can I have prayer with you because I believe that your soul is on the verge of being lost. And he gets this huge look. Now, by the way, if you do that when you're a pastor, that either does two things. It scares somebody or it makes them angry. He went the angry route. He goes, What do you mean my soul is lost? I've been part of this church for decades and blah, 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 blah. And I just kind of said, when God calls you to serve and you say, I don't want to, that is the original sin that Satan did. He did not want to assume his place of servitude to God and instead wanted to be like him. You're doing that. Your soul, your very salvation is in question. Can I pray for you? And he stormed out the door. And, and then I just kept shaking people's hands because that's what phlegmatics do. Roll off the back. 
He came back a couple of weeks later, apologized to me. He's like, I was having a bad day. I'm like, we both had a bad day, brother. <laughs> Let's be honest. And we had a good conversation and apologized. I had prayer with him. We were all good. But sometimes we have to get our buttons pushed and able to help us understand where we rank in the kingdom. We have Jesus and the Holy Spirit and God and then us. And if they are Lord and they are Savior and they are truly God, then we've got to follow what they're asking us to do. In fact, Paul put a really fine point on this concept of whether or not we can choose to follow the way of God or not to follow the way of God. In Galatians 6.3, he says this. I'm going to let you read it for a second before I actually speak it to you guys. So we'll get it up on the screen here. Galatians 6.3, Paul had this to say. If you think you're too important to help someone, you're only fooling yourself. You are not that important. I don't like that one. That one's an ouch right there. I mean, you are not that important. I mean, what? But he's right. When we make a judgment that our worship is going to be about our preferences and the way that we want life to go, and not about what God is calling us to do, then worship becomes about us and not about Jesus. I'll put a finer point on it like this. The church, and I'm not talking about just the corporate facility, the church doesn't exist to fulfill each one of our individual wants. The church exists to serve Jesus. And Jesus is calling us to the hands and feet of His kingdom here in the Salem area or wherever you happen to be joining us for on the internet. When we finally grasp this concept, when we act on this truth, then we actually are truly demonstrating the love of Jesus as the early church did. And look what happened as a result when we see that last final sentence there in Acts chapter 2. It says, when they did all of these things, when they worshipped as a lifestyle and not just as a weekend program, when they integrated it into their life and they chose to serve and to love and to give and to help and all of these things, it says, He added to their number each day those that were being saved. So hear me clearly, I'm not interested in in numeric growth, though it is a health indicator of how a church is going. If it's declining, then you've got to ask questions. I'm not interested in just filling the pews for the sake of filling the pews. All, all, All the Oregon Conference worry about our attendance records and all of that stuff. But what I am interested in is allowing people to pass from death to life, from hurt and pain to joy, from sorrow to hope, And to experience the love of God through me and you. That's my hope. But think of it this way. I was joking with somebody earlier that uh, about the baptismal tank because I didn't even realize there's like little doors here that open up and there's a tank back there. I knew there was a tank, but I didn't know how you got to it. Now I do. I've been so instructed. And so um, he was kind of saying, yeah, you know, um, we just leave it empty when we're not using it. And I'm like, well, yeah, that kind of makes sense. It's not a hot tub that you're just going to jump into, although that would be kind of cool too. Um, but I said, wouldn't it be really cool if we never emptied it? And then somebody at the 930 service goes, that's gross. <laughs> I'm like, okay, okay, hear me out. We'll put chlorine and stuff in it as we need to. But here's the idea is, is that Every time that we came together in the building, those doors were open and there was water in the tank because there was somebody that was accepting Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior that day. 
you realize if we did that, now I'm going to ask you guys to do advanced math on the Sabbath. I know it's a sin. I have a whole other sermon on how algebra is satanic. Sorry, Zach. Um, here you go. If Jesus added just one person to our church every day of the year, how many would that be? See, they're, they're awake. The 930 guys weren't awake. Yeah, they're like, uh. I'm like, come on, it's times one, people. One. Anything times one is it? Anyway. Anyway, all right. And on leap year it is. Okay, there you go. 366. Can you imagine if every single year we were allowed to participate, be a part of 365 lives being transformed through the power of Jesus Christ? Whoa. I mean, that's, that would more than double us every single year. And again, I'm not talking about numbers. I'm just like, can you imagine what the community would feel like? What it would look like? How, how energized and electric it would be? Not only that, but you're actually helping to grow the kingdom of God by allowing Him to use you as His hands and feet in the community. Though we're not talking about numeric growth, we have to be after saving lives. And we all have to be focused on that. This is truly the act of love. Paul puts it later on in Romans chapter 12, verse 9, when he says this, Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Now I have to ask this question. Can we really say that we love others if we skip the Gospel, but instead insist on our own comfort, preferences, proclamations, or or whatever it happens to be? You see, we have to reach out to people with the love of Jesus wherever they are in that moment. There's a great story that uh, was actually told, first-hand account, um, by a gentleman that, that... those of us that are of age have probably heard of. If you've heard of the illusionist group Penn and Teller, they're pretty cool for the younger group. Look, they're awesome. Uh, they have a show, or they had a show in Vegas. I'm pretty sure they're shut down now. But basically, they are a comedic duo that also does illusions, and they're awesome. They're amazing. Penn is the one that talks. Teller never says a word. Um, he's, he's supposed to be silent through the whole thing, so he does all the talking, and boy, does he talk. But Penn is also a very outspoken atheist. Has been his entire life. And when I say outspoken, he's got a vlog dedicated to it and all kinds of other stuff where he just basically says anybody that believes in a higher power, a deity, a God, or Jesus, or, or Muhammad, or whatever, are complete idiots. That, and he says it just like that. Penn and Teller have this show at Vegas, as I said, and what they routinely do during the show is they'll usually grab one or two people up out of the audience to come up and participate with them in one of their illusions. What really they're doing is they're inviting somebody to be part of the joke. They want people to laugh at it because they're going to make them do something absolutely hysterically dumb. And so was the case one night, and this gentleman comes up, and he's part of the act, and everybody laughs, and they send him on his way. Well, the next night, this gentleman comes back to the show, and he asks if he can go back and see Penn. He says, I was on the stage last night. I have something that I'd like to share with him. I have a gift for him. Would it be possible to go get backstage and see him? And so they called security and everything, and Penn says, yeah, I'll I'll see this guy. And so he goes backstage and meets Penn um, backstage by his dressing room. 
And he says, I don't know if you remember me, but I was on stage last night. I can't play the video for you guys due to copyright stuff, but if you want to go watch it, it used to be on YouTube. I don't know if Penn has removed it because it was getting a lot of attention, but you can go look for it. And here's the story. I was on the stage with you guys last night, and I felt like I had to come here and, and tell you something tonight that, that will save your life. And Penn's like, oh, great. We got one of the creepy dudes that just showed up, one of those conspiracy theory guys. I'm going to step back and hand you some tinfoil on the way out, right? And so he's starting to think that way. And so the guy reaches into his bag and pulls out a Bible and hands it to him. And Penn's just like, well, what, I, what do I do with this? And the gentleman says, I am from the Gideons. For those that aren't familiar with that, Back in the day, if you ever went to a hotel and you opened up one of the drawers in the dresser and there was a Bible in there, if you opened the front cover, it would say, placed here by the Gideons. They are a movement that believes that getting the Word of God into people's hands is their primary focus in life, and it's amazing. They're a great, wonderful, organizational uh, group of people. And he hands him the Bible, and he says, I want to share with you that there is a God in heaven that loves you. I want to share with you that even though you and I are sinners and we are not worthy of being saved, He sent His Son to die on the cross for you. To forgive those sins so that when we accept His Son as our Savior, when we accept His sacrifice on the cross, that we can pass from death to life and we will have eternal life. And He explains eternity, you know, that there's joy and hope and, and no sorrow and no tears and no death and all of these things. And He, he presents the Gospel to this extremely well-known atheist. And Penn politely says, you know, thank you for the gift. I appreciate you coming in. And the guy left. Penn goes back to his dressing room and opens up his phone and records a vlog from his dressing room immediately after the encounter. And you would think he would go off on the guy, but Penn said something that, that has stuck with me, and it's been over 10 years since he recorded this. He said this. He said, I'm an atheist. I don't believe in God. I don't believe in any higher power or anything like that. But there was a man tonight that came to my show and gave me a Bible and told me about his God, Jesus, and how much he loves me. And he continued on to talk a little bit about what the man shared. And he said, you know, I may not believe what this man believes, but he was a good man. He said it like ten times. He was a good man. But then he said something that absolutely still haunts me to this day and is part of the driving force behind a lot of the ministry and the urgency that I have in ministry uh, in my life. He said this, How much do you have to hate someone if you believe with all your heart that you have a message that will save them and you choose not to tell it to them? How much do you have to hate someone if you believe with all of your heart that you have a message that you can tell them that will save them, but you choose not to tell them. And I believe later on in the video, it may be in my head, it's a little fuzzy, but the concept is something like this. It's, it's like you have a firefighter who drives up to a house that, that's on fire and there's somebody screaming for help and he chooses to stay in the truck and just watch the place burn down rather than take the hose and hose it down or even just put on the suit, jump in, grab the person and pull them out. They have the power to save but they choose not to. 
Family, this is exactly what, what I'm talking about, is that with our words, with our actions, we have the power to help people understand that there is a God that loves them and that wants to save them and wants to give them an eternal life in His kingdom. That He wants to adopt them as His children. And all of that's metaphorical language that we can break down in those conversations. But basically it is this, I have a message from God for you He loves you and He wants to save you and He sent me to help make that happen. When we embrace that, we demonstrate the love of God to others on a level that we can't even comprehend. Paul goes on to explain it this way in Romans 10, verse 13. He says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I want to pause on that one. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. There's no exceptions in the Bible. It's like, I'm sorry, you're too much of a scumbag. You can't be saved. There's nothing in there. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Anyone that says, I accept you, Jesus, as my Lord and Savior, and I want to walk with you from this point forward, from now into eternity, will be saved. That's what Paul's saying here. Then in verse 14, he says this, But how can they call on Him to save them unless they believe in Him? And how can they believe in Him if they've never heard about Him? And how can they hear about Him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? That is why the Scriptures say, how beautiful are the feet of messengers who bring good news. Family, we've got to be bold enough to step out of our comfort zone and start helping to share the Gospel message with people. I mean, I truly do believe that the Gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, has the power to save. Do we as a church believe the Gospel has the power to save? Some do. By the way, I I make light of that. I was telling the 930 service, I like it when people talk back to me while I'm preaching. You're like, amen, you got it. You're you're an idiot. Don't do that one though. Uh, I get that. Do that one in the lobby. Um, But I like feedback from people, especially with the mask wearing, because I'm like, I'm trying to read people's eyes. I'm like, is this registering? Are they sleeping? They're giving me the stink eye. Um, facial expressions are valuable to me. So, amen, all of that stuff, bring it. Thank you. There you go. Jerry's got that good voice that just carries, right? Kind of like fingernails on a chalkboard. Yeah. <laughs> Love you. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but this is the concept that I want us to wrestle with as we move forward. Our resolution has to be that we will let go of our preferences, our comfort zone, and our priorities, and instead allow God to set those for us. And we need to be willing to also say this, Jesus, use me as your instrument and put people in my path that you know I can help to see you. Now, not everybody's born to be a preacher. I'm not saying all of a sudden everybody's going into ministry, but I will say when I prayed that prayer, all of a sudden God's like, (laughs) watch this, Uh, you're going to be a preacher. Step out of the executive corporate world and into ministry. Wow. Best decision I ever made, by the way. Best decision. Most stressful, but best decision I ever made. But maybe he's calling you to reach out and help those that are really struggling with just getting through school these days, with parents that are struggling with, I don't even know how to teach my kid, and yet I'm supposed to sit here off of a Zoom class, help them understand advanced mathematic topics. And in the Rising household, we just kind of go, summer school. <laughs> I don't get it. My wife doesn't get it. It's, it's hard. 
right? I get it. But there are people that can help with that to show the love of God through those things. Some people are called to do homeless ministry and get out there and reach out to people and sit down and talk with them. And man, I can tell you some of the best conversations that I've ever had, some of the best gospel conversations I've ever had, have been sitting on a sidewalk eating uh, uh, something from McDonald's, having a gospel conversation with a guy that I just met who happens to be homeless. They're amazing. Or maybe God has called you to be able to do some sort of online ministry or music ministry or to help out with single parents or to help people with addiction recovery or whatever it happens to be. All of those things can be used for the glory of the kingdom of God if we allow ourselves to be used in those ways. And when we do, when we lay our preferences aside, there's no judgment, no condemnation. You will see people seek out the kingdom of God in ways that we never thought were possible. We have to be bold with the gospel message because it does indeed have the power to save. I invite the praise team to come on up as we close out here. We have to let that boldness for serving others, for loving others, for looking out for others invade every space where we exist. We can't just talk about it. We have to live it. I'll tell this quick story while we're getting set up. I was invited to be a part of every teacher and every pastor in the Oregon Conference of Seventh-day Adventists. We get together once a year at a thing called Together as One. It's supposed to help the church and the school come together because we are one. That's the idea. And one year, the young adult leader for the Oregon Conference put out an ad on Craigslist and said, if anybody would like to come and talk to us about what you think about Christianity, hit me up. And he had three people respond. He didn't tell them it was going to be for a big conference of over 600 people, but they responded. And there was a lady from the LGBTQ community, a pastor's daughter who was now agnostic or atheist, and a guy that was a Messianic Jew that hated other Messianic Jews. Um, and so they showed up at this conference and they took their seats up on the stage and they were really freaked out because once again they didn't know they were going to be speaking to 600 plus people and the conference officials told all of us that, that speak for a living we want you guys to shut up and we just want you to listen and so it was a wide open question what do you guys think of the church what do you think of Christianity and they were very polite for about the first two minutes they're like oh you know they're, they're nice people and da 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 and then finally you could see that they got a little more comfortable and a little more bold and I remember the lady from the LGBTQ community said, okay, can I be honest with y'all? And like five of us shouted back, yes! And she goes, you guys are sure good at talking about the love of God, but when's the last time you showed any love to our community? You could just hear it silence, dead silence in the room. And then the young lady that was a pastor kid explained that she had gone to church every single weekend of her entire life and people would badmouth the praise team, badmouth her dad, badmouth their family, badmouth this person and that person. And, and all they were doing is basically saying, you know what, this church stinks and if people would just listen to me, it would be the way that I wanted it to be. And I decided that when I became an adult, I didn't want any part of that. So I left and I'm never going back. I started tearing up. A lot of us started tearing up and a lot of us pastors started to get angry because we're like, man, that's not who we're supposed to be about. And the Messianic Jew, turns out he just wanted to plug his podcast. Um, so he didn't have a whole lot to say other than listen to my podcast if you want to know what I think. Um, but we have the opportunity, family, to change the reality for countless people here in the Salem community. To help them understand that we're not just all talk when we talk about the love of God, 
that we're going to show them, that we're going to demonstrate through action the love of God. But it takes all of us accepting that purpose in our life, that worship becomes a lifestyle and not a program. And when we do that, we will watch the floodgates of God's kingdom open up, His blessings will rain down, and we will be witness to people passing from death to life and becoming part of not just our family, but the family of God. But we have to let that boldness for serving others, for loving others, for looking out for others invade every space where we exist. 